Welcome to Rock Content's Jam Session podcast series. In each episode, we sit down and talk with industry experts who share proven marketing strategies, best practices for content, tactical advice, and tales of SaaS and entrepreneurship, and so much more. Enjoy today's episode. All right, I think we are live. Hello, good evening from London. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you may be joining us from. <laughs> Um, my name is Giuseppe Caltabiano. I'm leading marketing here at Rock Content, and it is my great pleasure to host today's jam session. Today we have with us Lee Olden. Welcome, Lee. Hey, Gio. It's great to be here. Well, thank you. For Good, to here you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, well, before I go with the proper intro, let, let me spend one minute just to talk about our jam session. Um, jam sessions are a mix of uh, interviews, uh, you know, like the one we have today, uh, podcasts, webinars. They are hosted by us at Rock Content, and they feature top marketing and content experts and innovators. And we do, we do all of this with one common theme, which is providing advice and share trends and best practice on how to master successful content experiences. Even hashtag Jam Session, in case you want to post anything on social. Uh, and today we have... Uh, Definitely got one of those top marketers and innovators, Lee Odden. Lee is a CEO of uh, Top Rank Marketing, a first-class digital marketing agency specializing in strategic marketing and consulting, based in Minneapolis. Uh, even if uh, probably talking about location after two years of uh, pandemic is very obsolete, right? Um, <laughs> but anyway, just to provide some context, Lee is a conference legend. Uh, he speaks internationally about digital <laughs> content marketing. Um, he specializes in content, search. I mean, he will, he will tell us a, a, a little bit about his, himself. Um, search, influencer marketing, social media. Uh, he's also a hell of a nice guy. I stalked Lee for uh, some time trying to convince him to be here with us. And uh, he was always extremely kind with me. Lee, so, so glad you are here with us today. Um, we are going to have a very crowded event. I'm not sure about the latest numbers, but I've checked this afternoon. We have several hundred people. Uh, but I want to start today uh, by, by asking you to tell us something more about yourself uh, versus the typical bio, maybe for the audience who still don't know who you are. Wow. Well, so, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I've been a, um, I kind of, uh, you know, entered the marketing world a little bit by accident. I was working in a different field entirely. And in late 1997, a friend of a friend had started an internet business, creating websites for small businesses. And amazingly, they were selling these websites over the telephone. And upon selling someone a $100 website, they would fax a brochure to us and we would create a website off of those faxes. So after selling websites and actually doing pretty well, uh, I started to learn how to make forms so people could put up order forms and things like that and they wanted how that, they wanted to know how can we get traffic to these websites that, that so was that's the where time i started learning about so called seo marketing right seo yeah sure marketing. that was the definition at the time i remember before google we were before doing all google. kinds of crazy things with doorway pages and all kinds of crazy stuff um, to find traffic. How do we get traffic to these websites that we built, sold and built for people? So that was my entree to digital marketing is, you know, making websites, um, leading a team that made websites, leading a team that was optimizing 
uh, to attract traffic to those websites so that they could be successful. That makes total sense. Now, you have had top rank marketing since 2001, is it correct? Correct. All right, I, I did my homework. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you have been in the, con but, by the way, you have been in the content biz longer than that. Um, can you tell us more about your professional journey and how top rank marketing was created and why? So my original business partner started a public relations firm in 2001. Her original partner didn't quite, uh, I think he ended up leaving uh, not too long after um, being an entrepreneur isn't for everyone. I had left my previous internet company and was independent and I joined uh, that company as a partner. I brought SEO and to the public relations equation, which was very rare and not really talked about at the moment. And so we went to companies that were looking for media relations and more visibility uh, in industry publications. And we talked about how we could achieve that goal. But at the same time, we let them know how much more journalists were using search engines like Google to follow stories, to research companies, to research um, articles and things that they were writing so we could optimize newsroom content to inspire what we called inbound PR, mentions of the brand because they were the best answer for the topic the journalist was covering. And at the same time, we could pitch those journalists on better story ideas and so forth. So it was a hit. It did, did quite well. And fast forward, we started to, obviously, social media became more popular. Um, we started creating a, a lot of content and uh, expanded into some other areas and, and really moved up the food chain in terms of the kinds of companies we were working with. We were working with small businesses at the beginning, just like everyone else. Started yeah. working with mid-market companies, and now we work with a lot of large enterprise uh, organizations. How did you get uh, into the circuit of content marketing? How, how and where did you meet our common friends, Joe Pulisi, Robert Rose, <laughs> and get familiar with the content marketing world? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting how if you're in the search marketing or SEO, search engine optimization business, what makes search work, of course, is content. I mean, you've got to have content um, in order to show up in the search results. And so many companies were coming to us saying, hey, we want to rank well on search engines. We want to attract new customers that are searching for things that we do. And oftentimes we'd say, well, you don't have any content. <laughs> you don't deserve to rank because you have nothing to show up. So we were increasingly taking on the burden uh, or opportunity of creating content, creating optimized content that was not only good for search engines, but it was especially good for people, you know, doing, achieving both goals at the same time. And we continue to do that. This is a big part of our business. Um, Joe, uh, so Joe Paluzzi, before he had Content Marketing World, he had Junta42. Junta42 is a website and, one, and, and talked about, it was a marketplace for bringing um, brands and people who uh, provided content marketing services together. And one of the features of that website was a list of the top content marketing blogs. And Top Rank Blog was named the number one top, uh, the number one content marketing blog, not one, two, but three times. The only blog that was... Uh, named number one three times ever. And then he shut the list down. And Joe had reached out to me when he was um, 
and many other people when he was starting Content Marketing Institute and asked us advice about his business plan, that sort of thing, very lightly. No, I wasn't very, I wasn't involved. He just said, hey, do you have any high level opinion? Um, but he also quoted, he also interviewed me a little bit for one of his books, one of his early books. And so just, you know, it's content marketing uh, world conference became part of, became a reality. And he invited myself and, and uh, a, a number of other people to speak at that very first conference. And um, I feel fortunate to have spoken at every single one of the, the 12 conferences um, of content marketing world that have happened. Um, and it's been amazing to see the growth of the industry. Um, and it's been a privilege to be, a, you know, an evangelist for creating better content experiences, uh, creating, you know, content that's optimized for search findability, but also optimized for humans and, and, you know, content that is trusted and credible and experiential. I talking about content marketing world. Um, I think you have been there for 12 times, right? I, I tried to yes. make some calculation. And, and we met probably for the first time at, uh, in Cleveland, the content marketing world. I was at that time in Schneider Electric. Um, and your first presentation, I can see on my notes, um, was about social SEO strategy. How much has changed since then, Lee? Since 2000, so 10 years ago, um, uh, or more than 10 years ago. Um, yeah, that was 2010, right? So yeah. at the time, I think a lot of social media allowed for organic visibility, meaning that you could publish to Facebook, you could publish to Twitter or whatever, and you know the algorithm didn't necessarily just favor paid placements so much, right? Because maybe it was early days in social media, and so they needed to allow for more inventory to be created, just like Google, right? You know, when Google was in early days, they didn't put so many ads out there. They had to crawl as many websites, get as many websites indexed into their uh, their database as possible because um, content is inventory for any platform that's trying to run ads, right? So I think what's changed is that today, you just don't have the organic visibility opportunity you know, anymore. If you publish something on a social network, only a fraction of the people that are following you are ever going to see it, right? Because there's so much competing content. Um, there are favor there's favoritism towards certain characteristics that weren't that was not the case uh, ten years ago. Um, there's obviously increased ad opportunity. Um, and, and so you can't things, things, the big thing that has changed is of course, you know, the lack of organic visibility. So you've got to pay to play. Um, right. there's still an opportunity through organic. Um, but I think it's more on the side of dark social than it is on something that's public that could get crawled and indexed by a search engine, right? Twitter made those links, no follow, right? So it's not like you yeah. can post a tweet and expect to jack up your link popularity on your website just because you're tweeting anymore. Um, but, you know, I think um, the uh, the dark social in that in as much that there can be groups on LinkedIn, there can be groups or chat threads on Twitter, you know, DMs, channels. Um, there can be the audio connections, um, you know, the... the uh, sort of audio social network capabilities, which are nominally popular, probably more popular on Twitter than anywhere else now. Um, 
uh, more so than Clubhouse or something like that. Um, and so in those private groups, I think there's still quite a bit of opportunity. Now, I work in B2B, not consumer marketing. So um, yeah. those private groups are great, still a great opportunity for engagement today. And that's a big difference today than, you know, 10 years ago, where those groups and the B2B people connecting through those groups wasn't quite as common. Yeah, I remember that. And, and talking about social media, what do you think about um, Twitter, for example, all things that are going on with Twitter, you know, I mean, the situation with Elon Musk. Uh, the, did you open, by the way, an account with Mastodon? You are still on Twitter. I haven't, I haven't uh, set up on Mastodon. I did set up an account on Post. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing is 10 years ago or years ago, I used to spend a lot more time experimenting. But that was back when, when I was doing a lot more implementation work. Now that I have a much larger agency and I have departments of people in different disciplines who are responsible for uh, staying on top of what's new and what's fresh, I probably spend a little less time experimenting. Of course, I still do. And I set up accounts here and there or whatever. But um, yeah, what's going on with Twitter is very interesting. It's going to change. Um, I think on the one hand, I wish Twitter would have made more changes than it did because there were very few innovations ever implemented, right? I mean, remember how what a big deal it was to go from 140 to, two, to 280 characters, right? I mean, how long yeah. did it take to be able to edit a tweet and just simple things like that? And now on, on one level, you know, there's some acceleration of change. Is it the change we need? Is it the change that the community at large wants? That remains to be seen. Um, I think there's still an opportunity, and that's not because of Elon Musk so much as that there's still a population, there's still a community that's using Twitter, and that use may change, and it's our obligation as marketers to just figure out, well, how's that going to shift, right? And we pay attention to our analytics, we keep our fingers on the pulse of what's happening with our customers, and that's how we know how to adjust any changes that occur with a platform, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn or anything else. Are, are you still suggesting Twitter in, in general, you know, the, the old social media channels as a distribution, as distribution channels for content to your clients or uh, that's becoming a secondary way, a secondary approach? I would say for B2B, we have already been emphasizing LinkedIn. Now I'm going to throw a disclaimer out there and say LinkedIn has been my client for nine years. So I'm a, I'm a little biased about that, but there's really no other place that is such a concentration of business marketers or business people. There, there just isn't. Um, so Twitter is absolutely, is secondary. Is it still important? It is. It is. We still run Twitter chats. Uh, we still, you know, engage, um, with uh, influencers, we still engage with prospects. We still do social listening on Twitter, right. looking for opportunities um, and that sort of thing. We still publish and promote content on Twitter, absolutely. But we're definitely spending a lot more uh, time than we were maybe five or six years ago uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn has created some opportunities for different content types. They've in been innovating at a much more rapid rate at the kinds of content publishing and engagement that you can do uh, than Twitter has. So it was just, even if Elon Musk wasn't involved with Twitter, we're already moving in the LinkedIn direction.
for for B two B. So so you started with SEO, uh, then social, and then uh, at a certain point, I remember. Um, that you and the agency started to focus on influencer marketing. Actually, there was a, a time when uh, the, this association between uh, your name, the agency, and the influencer marketing as a discipline was so strong that whenever I thought about influencer marketing uh, in B2B, uh, your, your name and the name of your agency just came to my mind. Can I ask you why? Why, why you decided to give so much emphasis on, on influencer marketing at a certain point? You know, it's kind of like out of necessity in the same way that when we were doing trying to do SEO for companies that had very little content, we had to start creating content. Right. And then as we started creating content um, and the competition increased, we found that it was so important to increase performance of that content after the click that we had to find ways to do things to make that content more credible. And we did things like ad social proof and the as seen in, you know, popular publication XYZ and that sort of thing. But we found that when we started to identify external and internal people who were influential and we added those folks uh, either as uh, quotes or interviews or all types of different formats where they imparted their knowledge about the topic in, at large, um, it really helped to increase performance. It also helped increase distribution in some cases, right? So why did we shift to an emphasis on influencer marketing? Is because it improved performance of the marketing, you know? Um, and, and as we started to do this for ourselves, so we started, um, you know, uh, Joe and uh, I were, Joe Pluzzi and I were talking at Content Marketing Institute about ways that we could work together um, from a, I don't know, a partnership standpoint and, co you know, help each other out from a marketing standpoint, we started right. to uh, help the content marketing world conference by publishing, um, a speaker ebook is what we called it at the beginning. Right. And those speakers are influential and, and, uh, those ebooks became quite popular because the speakers were like, um, this is awesome. This is giving me something to show my, you know, my boss that look, I'm in this really cool ebook and it's getting thousands and thousands of views all over the place. Cause we do them. We partnered with um, Joe Kalinowski, the creative director at uh, content marketing Institute who created these brilliant covers. And then we would take those covers and then take it from there. Right. And so it was very creative. And the, the, the secret ingredient there wasn't just the creative it was a combination of a creative hook and a metaphor and a good story and making a connection to people who are influential about those same ideas and to harvest or curate useful insights from that group of very credible people into a content asset that was in entertaining and useful and trusted. And so in doing that for ourselves, um, people started to ask us literally, um, uh, who is it? Ann Hanley said, hey, I want one of those. So we, you know, we, we made one for the B2B marketing forum conference and other people came to us and said, we want one of those. Can you do that for us? And so, so we saw an opportunity for growth and differentiation and increased performance. And so I decided, you know, um, you know, we're going to become the best answer 
for B2B influencer marketing. So we followed our own advice. We followed the, the advice that we give to clients about how can you become top of mind for your target audience around an idea? And, and we executed those tactics for ourselves. And consequently, you know, we became quite well known for, you know, B2B influencer marketing. Exactly. So that's super interesting because you started experimenting this for yourself. And then, of course, correct. Uh, so as you know, you, you discovered that it works uh, as, as a brand code, as an additional brand code, uh, brand association. And then, uh, of course, you, you exported this as a discipline for your customers. Uh, actually, in a previous interview, Lee, uh, a couple of years ago, you predicted um, that the concept of B2B macro influencers was on the rise. Uh, with some charismatic individuals driving large audiences being a feature of future B2B influencer marketing. Now, my question is, is the focus of B2B influencer marketing moving from uh, trusted experts um, up to a more B2C celebrity style focus? And, and is fame so important for B2B at, at this point, in your opinion? That's, that's a great question. And it's kind of like the question about you know, is B2C and B2B the same? Or what, what can, you know, what is it that we can use out of B2C for B2B? And it's certainly not apples and apples. Uh, and it's also not apples and oranges. <laughs> it's kind of a hybrid fruit situation. So there are things from B2C that are entering into the B2B space. Previously, early days of B2B influencer marketing, people did tend to focus on the most popular people, the famous people, in various B2B industries, and they still have utility. There's still usefulness um, to having popular people part of your program, right? But there's a time and a place. Now, what's coming over from B2C where now they don't, you know, they call them influencers, increasingly they call them creators, right? People in B2C who are really handy with one of these things and, a phone, and, and apps, and they can create all kinds of content, right? And they attract an audience because they're capable of creating this really interesting content. And then they can monetize that by having brands work with them to create content that advocates for the brand. So what we are starting to see is where previously in B2B, you had people who had thought leadership and expertise. Maybe they're good at making content. Maybe they're not. Right. But they were trusted. And the way we would work with them is to get their content, have them contribute content and publish it on brand channels. And they'd often do it for free because they would get exposure as a value exchange. B2C creator capabilities are now starting to come over to B2B experts. B2B experts are becoming more savvy about creating podcasts, about creating video, about creating stories. And they're coming into B2B verticals and starting to create uh, or and attract audiences that are really engaged by this infotaining content. And when brands want to work with them, of course, it's not free. You pay them. So that's where we see. So whereas it used to be, we'd pay maybe 50% of B2B influencers because it's, look, look, if um, Adobe came to you and said, Gio, would you like to come to Adobe uh, uh, Max or, you know, the conference We'll fly you out and you just be there and you tweet and whatever you want and it'll be a fun time. And you probably go, well, yeah, <laughs> why not? And, and today it's like, well, yeah, I'll do that, but I'll, I will make you 
five blog posts. I'll do a live stream video with a couple of executives and that's going to cost $6,000 or $10,000 or who knows what, right? So media creation skills that are compensated for are increasingly becoming a part of the B2B influencer uh, mix. And, and uh, you have this um, in a campaign early stage, you have the most popular people in your arsenal promoting the brand. But then as you get further into the sales journey and you're continuing to publish content, now we start to not publish the most popular people, but more niche experts. We have um, you know, people who are subject matter experts in the industry. Um, maybe they have a fraction of the followers, but everyone listens to every word they say. We have customers, we have employees, you know, engineers or other subject matter experts inside the company. And we start to involve them as we move further along in the sales journey towards, you know, from awareness to consideration to purchase. So architecting B2B influencer marketing programs now is one where, yes, the popular people do get to play, but also increasingly the most trusted people, not so popular, but the most trusted people also get to play a more and increasingly important role. Right, that makes total sense. So different kind of influencers for the different stages of the buyer journey, in few words. Correct. Um, now, one question about the, the company size, actually your, your clients. Who, who are your typical clients? I'm not asking for the names, of course, but uh, um, just understanding, is it small businesses? Is it medium size or it's a proper mix of uh, large enterprises? And We, we work with a, a mix of mid-market and large enterprise companies. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of those, you know, fortune 500, fortune 1000, um, you know, we've signed a couple of fortune 100 companies in the last three months. Um, and, um, uh, one company I can talk about, if, you know, is LinkedIn, you know, we've, we've, we've been providing, you know, content influencer, even SEO, uh, work, uh, to LinkedIn for, as I mentioned before, nine years now, which is a long time for an agency to work with any client actually, um, so, so yeah, increase, you know, uh, mid-market companies who are, you know, interested in finding a partner that can really help do the research that constructs the strategy and then can also help implement that strategy. Um, large enterprises who are already have a strategy and they want someone to execute or they just want the strategy. Um, and, uh, I'd say 80% plus of our clients are retainer clients. So they are partnering with us and working with us on an ongoing basis and they find value in renewing uh, with us at what other, whatever interval you know, that they engage with us for, whether it's a quarter, six months or a year. Right. Now, uh, my, my uh, personal history is uh, made working for uh, for large enterprises. That's really my comfort zone. I was in Schneider Electric, which is a company of 180,000 right. people. Um, yeah. But before that, even Invents is a British engineer company, 20,000 people. Um, so that, that's really my, my comfort zone. But um, what about small companies? Uh, let's say a company of, uh, I don't know, five to 100 or 150 people. Uh, how do they approach uh, influencer marketing or content marketing in general? What do you suggest to them? Same, same model well, of uh, large enterprises or you have a different approach? 
Well, yeah, I mean, they're not going to be paying people as much uh, as a large enterprise that can execute a campaign and develop a community of 100 influencers like, you know, some brands do um, in a small. They're in, everyone's influential about something. And within a small business, there are people who influence uh, customers to go in the direction of a particular solution. And so the first question to ask is, who's influencing your customers? And if they can't figure that out, if they don't know the answer to that question, then maybe they can get some help. Now, they can get help from specialists, uh, independent practitioners um, in the, in the, in that work in, this, in the realm of influencer marketing or influencer and social. Um, they could go to a platform. Um, they could start listening through a social media monitoring platform for the people that are um, have you know substantial following or modest following at least, but that have a high degrees of trust. Um, but find out who those people are that are influencing your customers, and um, and then you work to invite them uh, to collaborate with you, right? And um, you know when you pay attention to people that are out there advocating for ideas and thoughts and change and innovation, and those ideas and values line up with your own company, well the reason to collaborate starts to reveal itself pretty quickly um, and how we can make the world, you know, make our world, make our industry a better place if we collaborate together on this useful content for our industry. So the mistake a lot of companies make, whether a small business or large enterprise is thinking that they can simply go to an influencer and say, pitch my product for me. <laughs> Unless, I laugh like, is it like, unless they're already doing that just on their own, there's like, I love this drink. It's amazing. You know, if I'm already creating videos like that and, and uh, Gatorade comes to me and says, Hey, we'd like to sponsor you. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Right. I'll create some unique, interesting content uh, because I'm already doing that kind of thing. But in B2B, again, I flavor my advice, whether it's small business or large enterprise from a B2B perspective, uh, uh, the chances of a credible, trusted person becoming a branded ambassador when they're really not sold on that company's ideas and what they stand for is very, very minimal. So find out who your influencers are, who's, who's influencing your customers, and then do some research on them and find ways to collaborate the, on, uh, with them and uh, build a relationship with them. And it, let it take time, um, just like a romance, right? You know? And, and find out what you have in common and find out what things that you, what we're goal, mutual goals are and how you can work together to reach those mutual goals through content. And then you use that content as a way to market to your customers. All right. Um, thank you, Lee. We, we have been talking about the evolution of um, content and influencer marketing. Uh, and uh, of course, I mean, we, we have to admit that the last few years have been quite a ride for all of us. Um, what are the challenges, in, in your opinion, that B2B marketers have been facing? And uh, how did our discipline evolve during and after the pandemic? I mean, we met in, in, in Cleveland this year. Uh, I, I was not, I mean, that was really my first travel after two and a half years. Um, and I think it was just beautiful, you know, to, to network again and to meet old people again. But in general terms, um, how do you think... Uh, we B2B marketers face these two years. Um, what kind of... Well, uh... It's been a challenge. It's been a challenge because obviously, you know, with COVID, um, it's... And the B, again, it, on the B2B side, uh, it, it really 
forced digital transformation. And because buyers became digital first, you know, organizations Mm -hmm. had to stop their field marketing. They had to stop doing events in person. They had to stop outside sales and anything like that kind of had to stop. So they had to do something, right? And they changed their go-to-market models to be digitally focused. And what a lot of B2B brands found is that digital first customer stayed digital, right? Predominantly. And those new go-to-market, those digitally focused go-to-market models work just as good or better than what they were doing before. And, and so it changed the way B2B companies did business. Uh, B2B e-commerce, for as an example, you know, started to increase substantially. Self-serve e-commerce right. um, for B2B companies yeah. just wasn't, you know, that become more of a reality. And so along with digital transformation in B2B came marketing transformation and how we identify, um, engage um, customers um, in the B2B space. So with uh, more and more, for example, more and more people, B2B buyers started using search, right? To find solutions Um, and search, you know, during an economic downturn, search is always a great place to go, right? Because, I mean, it's, it's available, it's available on anything and it, and it actually works, right? It's very effective at helping you to identify, to identify solutions or to find possible solutions for you. So, you know, brands that aren't the best answer for what they do on search are at a disadvantage. Um, but what good is being found if you're not also trusted? And so what I think a lot of B2B companies found during the pandemic is that they implemented these digital first marketing efforts or just go-to-market efforts. Um, and they found that just putting out more content, more digital content all by itself wasn't the answer. And we've done some research. We did in 2020, we published the very first B2B influencer marketing report. And we just published another one a couple of months ago. Um, And we found in both cases, uh, the importance of working with influencers to add credibility to brand content increased like in the 70 to 80% range, right? During the last couple of years. Um, now, a lot of other things have changed, too, but obviously I'm, I'm a little focused on the on influence side of things and the content uh, side of things. So I think um, even now, though, when we're facing uh, an impending recession, I don't think it's going to be as bad as some people are saying. And, uh, you know, um, but there, I'm pretty confident there will be a recession in 2023. And, you know, uh, but even this year wasn't the best. Right. Um, and, and I was looking at. Um, some stats from Pavilion, which is kind of a private network, private community, right? And they put out something on every monthly basis where they survey their membership. And I know during the summer, it was like 40% of execs said they didn't hit their numbers. Uh, I mean, that's a lot, you know? And, and so they're, they're challenged to, um, to, to, to grow the business. The marketing is expected to do more with less and all that sort of thing. And I think we're in the thick of that. And so I think um, B2B brands are looking for ways in which, you know, they've got some money to spend, but they want to spend it where they can get the best possible return, right? Um, and some of those folks are, <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, what is it, the Pied Piper, you know, that story? <laughs> they're, they're just, you know, the, or the, or the, uh, the sirens, they pull the, sh- the ships on the rocks. They're being pulled to just lead gen, only do lead gen. 
And mm-hmm. of course, if a company is only publishing lead gen content, it's like sell, 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 sell. What kind of customer experience is that, right? But um, yep. those, those that do have money to spend, they're looking to spend it as prudently and as effectively as possible. So they're looking for the tactics or strategies that actually work. And I think that's the- Some, Someone call it short-termism. Just focus yeah. on short-term stuff, forget all the rest, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. So there's some short-termism that's going to be present over the next year, I think, and that we're experiencing right now. But at the same time, I think over the next year, it's going to be really important for um, you know, brands and marketers that work for those brands to be focused on identifying and engaging with those things that are actually most reliably going to get them the return that they're looking for. Right. And you are already anticipating some of the questions Carly is asking exactly this. Um, what's the best way to market in a low budget scenario in 2023 and uh, because of the recession? Um, one more question about content marketing world and what you presented this year. I, I, I was there, so I was attending your, your presentation, um, mm-hmm. which was called The Secrets of Creating Inspired B2B Content Experiences, right? First of all, my first question is, um, why did you talk about content experiences? Now, th- this word is very familiar to us in raw content because that's part of our value proposition. So it's, a, it's, it's again, our comfort zone. But I'm really interested in yeah. your take. Why experiences this time and not marketing, content marketing? Right. Well... Uh, you know, we're in an age of information overload. There's a lot of competition. Everyone's publishing more content. More content isn't the answer. It's not enough to inform B2B buyers anymore. We've got to make them feel something, right? We've got to give them an experience. When you, you know, you look at research about what differentiates one brand from another, uh, what characteristics about content have moved or inspired or influenced a buyer to go with one company over another. And a lot of times those answers fall on the side of what was the most useful and experiential content consistently over time, right? Because that leads to trust. It leads, it's not just utility, but it also is about this idea of, you know, telling the stories that matter. And from a content perspective, we have much, uh, many, opportunities uh, to tell those stories in an experiential way. We've got interactive capabilities. We've got video. Um, we have audio. Um, we have you know image experiences and, and that sort of thing. There's so, so many things at our disposal um, that we can put into market that can help us connect with customers in the formats that they prefer to consume content, that they prefer to discover content and the formats that, you know, ultimately will differentiate a brand and the stories that are, we're trying to connect with on an emotional level to that B2B buyer um, with. And you've all heard, I know it's a cliche, but, you know, people make decisions based on emotion. They justify with logic. And to some extent, that's a little bit true, uh, right? Because B2Bs are people too and all that, you know, a B2B buyer. All right. Um is going to make decisions based on logic and the spec sheet and criteria and RFI and all that stuff. But at the same time, how do they feel about that company? How do they feel about that solution? How do they feel about values alignment and that sort of thing? That also factors in as well. And so that's why I picked the idea of experiences. And I segmented it into planning, creation, and promotion. 
as a totally resonate with me. And uh, in in addition, experiences or entertainment, even in B two B, I mean, they are contributing to create those memory structures. And in the end, that's the way to remember the brand, right? Even if uh, they will not be immediately ready to buy, but at least in the at the time whenever they will be um, in a position to, to select different vendors, they may reconnect again with your brand just because emotionally they were involved and, and pleased by those experiences. Uh, something you mentioned uh, um, at the conference was uh, stories are 22 times more memorable than facts. And also, uh, I'm still quoting, facts tells, stories sell, which I love it, by the way, as, as a quote. Um, can you please elaborate more on that? Well, you know, what I was talking about is how do we connect with our buyers in a most meaningful way? So that short-termism that we talked about, where there's this temptation to focus on, oh my gosh, we've got no budget, we've got no time, and we need to hit our numbers. Okay, let's just do these lead gen campaigns, just like buy, 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 you know? And it's like, it becomes a very mechanical exercise at trying to understand scientifically uh, exactly what characteristics made someone click through, subscribe, download, you know, trial demo, or actually make an inquiry. And that becomes the totality of the content, uh, the content being produced. Right. And, you know, what does that, <laughs> what does that do for customer experience? It's kind of like, I mean, none of us like being sold to do we? I mean, who actually likes being sold to? And that's ultimately what a lot of companies get uh, attracted to doing out of desperation. Right. So desperation is not inspiration and inspiration is what we need in times like these, right? And so that's where this concept of facts tell stories sell. So how can we get from here to there? It's through storytelling. It's through empathy and understanding the buyer's pain the, and all the things that we're supposed to do. And then architecting content experiences, storytelling that helps them understand that we get them, right? We, we understand their pain. We understand the goal they're trying to achieve. We understand the obstacles in front of them. So here's a story about how they can get from here to there. And by the way, we might be a solution to help you help you do that, right? Um, all right. Do you remember any brand that get it right? Do you have any example that you remember uh, of um, a successful campaign? Yeah, yeah, sure. A, a couple um, right off the top of my head. So, um, you know, this is a little bit meta in that it is a marketing company selling marketing to marketers. <laughs> but uh, Demandbase is a company that is known for, yep. um, you know, ABM, right? Account-based marketing. And they acquired a couple of other companies. And so they're going to market now with the, the combined company had a new solution, an innovation in the marketing um, automation or the marketing space. Um, and so they had this challenge of, okay, how can they go to market with this new sort of identity and what they stand for? Um, I mean, you know, we're combining these different companies and, you know, the solution is not something people have necessarily heard of before. How can they accomplish that quickly and effectively and in a meaningful way? Well, let's, let's create a story. And we literally created a story through a, a graphic novel. Um, and in this graphic novel, it, 
it identified the four founders or three, uh, four founders as like scientists and they had to solve you know the problems in the marketing world of human spam and things like that right so they created this special machine that would make marketers into superheroes and to give people advice about how this works we actually um, identified industry experts or influencers and portrayed them as superheroes in this graphic novel. <laughs> the graphic novel was like a landscape, or a, I'm sorry, a horizontal uh, sort of infographic type of experience. And so um, it was titled The Thrilling Tales of Smarter GTM, right? Who's looking for GTM? No one's looking for GTM before this. They started, and so we told this really cool story about how these four founders got together and they created this machine. They're creating superheroes, combating human spam. And then we included industry experts and portrayed them again as superheroes. I mean, Jay Bear wears plaid suits. Well, Jay Bear was wearing a plaid superhero outfit in this, <laughs> in this content asset. And uh, it worked pretty well. Uh, it worked pretty well at um, succinctly, but very uh, in an infotaining way, telling the story about what smarter GTM means to marketers, why they should care, um, and also included advice from people that they trusted about how to go from where they are to where they need to be. All right, we're talking about creativity, and I want to pick your brain on uh, on the subject of creativity. Um, I, I think uh, in the last uh, few years. Uh, uh, there was a decline of creativity in content marketing and marketing in general. But then I, I see that the trend is probably reversing, especially in the last uh, maybe a few months, one year. Um, and I think with no creativity, brands will uh, not easily get distinctive. And your example is you know, just a perfect example. Um, lo lots of has been told about the subject, but I really would like to listen to your uh, opinion. What do you think about the creativity in, in general in marketing, but especially in B2B marketing? I think creativity in marketing is a force multiplier, right? I know that's sort of a military <laughs> metaphor, but you know, when you add an ingredient to an equation or to a situation that not only adds incremental value, no, it explodes value. That's a force multiplier. So now we're talking 10x, 20x. That's what creativity does. Now, it's got to be intelligent creativity. It can't be creativity for creativity's sake. Yeah. And there's some interesting intersections between data, even artificial intelligence, and more effective right. uh, marketing that leverages creativity. So, you know, there's storytelling. Obviously, we talked about the ability to you know, convey things, information, even complex ideas simply in a way that actually matters to your customer um, and has those memory structures built in so that you stay top of mind. And one of the important things, and LinkedIn's got uh, an entity called B2B Institute. Oh, and yes. uh, you, yeah. you've got to listen to Ty Heath. I and mean, there's other people that work for B2B Institute, but Ty Heath is a, just a remarkable marketer. And I've heard her talk about concepts that out of their research, like, you know, how many people are in market and B2B 95% of buyers are not even in market. They're out of market. They're out yeah. of market. Only 5% are in market. Well, how can you stay memorable amongst those people who are not even a position or even interested? This, the context isn't there yet for them to buy. You do it through create, through creativity, through creative storytelling, through creative engagement, right? Um, so when the time comes, obviously, boom, your best answer, your top of mind. Um, and like you said before, you know, um, a lot of people, when they think about 
in my case, or I, when I, me, I mean the agency, um, when they think about working with influencers in B2B context, a lot of people think of us, you know, it's, it's just automatic, uh, automatic for a lot of people. Um, and that's not something that is, once you achieve that, it stays there. You have to keep earning it. You have to keep earning it over and over again. So you can't just tell one story from one campaign and think, now I'm just going to surf this wave all the way forever to the end of the year. No, you've got to keep doing it. And so there's a consistency element to that creativity uh, aspect that is super important, I think, for B2B marketers to fully realize um, its benefit. Talking about success, how do you measure success? Um, is it subscribers, recognition, uh, revenue. booking, revenue, or a mix revenue. of all of them? <clears throat> Ultimately, we're in business to grow revenue and um there are obviously a lot of KPIs that lead up to that. So our strategy that's for a specific situation or company or market will have unique KPIs. So if a strategy calls for, let's say, working with influencers, then there's going to be KPIs that are specific to those influencers. Like, um, I mean, let's work back from revenue. How much revenue did influencer recommendations of our content actually result in, right? And then KPIs that come back from that, you know, uh, to what degree do influencers even talk about us, you know, compared to our benchmark, our starting point is they're not talking about us at all. <laughs> and then we want to drive, you know, our strategy might call for, okay, we need to drive conversations around topics that matter and that cause people to start to look for our solution, right? So we look at, you know, influencers talking about the issue. We look at the uh, stories in tr uh, industry media talking about the issue. And then we look at the other content resources that we're putting out there that drive traffic back to um, commercial intent pages on our website, right? So we might have search metrics, social media metrics. Uh, we might have email metrics and so forth. So ultimately we're trying to grow revenue, but a particular strategy is going to have very unique goals and metrics to itself, right? Because not every marketing strategy is the same, nor should every marketing strategy be the same for every company or every, or every industry. Right. Let me pick up a couple of uh, questions from the audience. Helena, which B2B company would you be an influencer to and why? And then she's also asking, and if top rank marketing could have one influencer, who would it be and why? <laughs> <laughs> so me personally? Who, well, um, so yeah, I've the question is, uh, which, which B2B company would you be an influencer to? Would I be an influencer for? Uh, I am an influencer for Adobe. I'm part of the Adobe Insiders program, um, which I feel extremely fortunate to be a part of. There's some absolutely remarkable people uh, that are really making a difference in the world, let alone technology and design and marketing um, that are part of that group. So um, I feel very lucky to be a part of that organization. I've also been an influencer for IB, done influencer work for IBM, uh, for Oracle, um, a company called Workfront, which is now uh, has been acquired, I believe, um, by Adobe. <laughs> and um, yeah, so yeah, I've oh, also for LinkedIn, um, some things done, some things for LinkedIn. So those are the kinds of companies. Yeah. Um, now, I interestingly, I was sense. once there's a burger place, a national burger chain that uh, years ago offered me 
a free year of hamburgers. If I would take a photo of myself standing in front of the store with the burger and, and I was trying to lose weight at the time and I declined the offer. Um, another fun one is Oscar Meyer that makes hot dogs, right? And they have the famous Wiener mobile, right? The, the hot dog yeah. car. They sent me bacon and, um, and they also sent me a, a, a remote control car Wiener mobile with a convenient tray where you could put this two pounds of bacon that they also sent me. And it's just goofy. And they never followed up. I don't know that they ever measured me publishing. So it's kind of, sorry, that those are consumer stories. I don't know why they, it was early days well, in social media. That's right. So the old <laughs> works, not just for B2B, but also it works well for B2C. Um, second yep. question, how do you foresee the metaverse working for B2B next year? It'll be early. I think it'll be early. Um, okay. I'm no expert with metaverse, but I think the more content there is, the more reason there is for people to engage in the in a, in a metaverse context, right? Um, so we'll have to look for those B2B brands that are creating innovation in terms of um, experiences, uh, reasons why a buyer should consume content in a metaverse scenario, situation, right? Um, on the one hand, you could say there are, some companies doing some things, right? Okay, fine. Um, you could be one of those first early adopters as a B2B brand and start to attract an audience now. Um, and on the other hand, you could be, uh, well, look, I really need to spend my money where it's going to have the most impact. And it's a bit early yet for B2B and the metaverse. Uh, that may not be true for your specific industry. So you're going to need to do some research on that. Um, it could be as you survey your customers and you ask them questions like, do you, you know, do you consume content? Uh, do you interact? Do you spend time, you know, in a metaverse context or not? And if you have a large number of customers saying, yeah, actually we do. Uh, well, then maybe that's your motivation to go ahead and be an early adopter. But otherwise, it might be a little bit early. Very hundred percent, especially with the recession coming, probably the focus of the company will be somewhere else, right? Um, all right, we have a few minutes and let me go with the final closing questions. Um, who are the current thinkers um, in the marketing space or content space that you respect and follow and eventually that influence you? And Hanley, absolutely. They Hanley. an interview with her, right? Speak. Yes, I did. We launched a podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah, well, I just did a, uh, an interview with Ann Hanley on um, on our new podcast called Elevate B two B. We're trying right. to do our small part to elevate the practice of B two B marketing. So why not launch a podcast talking with people who are, you know, making impact, making a difference in the B two B marketing world? And Ann Hanley is absolutely someone who's doing that. And by the way, people can find this at Elevate B two B dot marketing. And so I would encourage people to check out her revised book. Uh, this is the Bible for content marketing. And this new edition exceeds expectations for me. It really, it really does. I had no idea I would have an opportunity to talk about Anne here, but seriously, I, I bought copies of this for my entire team and, and some of our customers. So, um, and, and, and it's a tremendous resource. So Anne is absolutely one of those people. Um, in B2B, you know, I look at people like Ardeth Albee, um, you know, She's, she's just brilliant, really. Um, she's just a brilliant B2B marketer. Um, Pam Didner's another great resource. Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. On the research side of thing, I mentioned Ty Heath, Tyrona Heath um, at LinkedIn. 
Um, she's yes. also someone whose job is to be an influencer because she's working with research and she evangelizes and, and talks about um, what's the latest insight relative to uh, things that are happening in the B2B market, uh, marketing world. We publish a list of top, we publish a list of top, <clears throat> top B2B marketers on toprankblog.com. Mm -hmm. um, you may even be able to find it if you just Google B2, you know, top B2B marketers or list of top B2B marketers. Um, we publish it every year. Um, and, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to publish the top women. This will, uh, the top women in B2B marketing uh, we've been publishing a list of the top women in marketing for 13 years. This will be our 13th year in a row yeah. of honoring women, whether they're at the top of their field or whether they're coming up, um, you know, trying to shine a light on talent. That's part of our Elevate B2B message is uh, giving voice to talent and trying to uh, put a spotlight on people doing really incredible, interesting things that may not self-promote so much. Right. So um, there you go. Great, some great resources that might um and, folks might and, and the list will go live next week right you told me the the women in marketing list is going to go live um in a couple of weeks um, right before the end of the year all right very final question what are your next steps uh, is there anything you or the agency are preparing i don't know a book any anticipation you want to share with the audience well we're going through a rebrand um we are going through the process of a rebrand for the very first time. Uh, I mean, a formal, formal rebrand, updated messaging, logo, everything, and a new website, which will launch in first quarter. Yeah, yeah. And so we're really taking the Elevate B2B message um, also and some other forms, um, educational, maybe awards, um, you know, some other resources, Um and, and really, we, we, we mean it. I mean, we're a small agency in the scheme of things, right? But uh, we do work with, you know, uh, an incredible portfolio of enterprise B2B companies. And we feel like there is an opportunity to elevate the practice of B2B marketing in a couple of ways. I mean, there's hundreds of ways we could do it. But for our small part, we're trying to focus on a couple of ways to create more experiential content, more inclusive uh, content, and more authentic um, well, more inclusive, more experiential, and more authentic marketing um, for, for, for B2B companies. And so that's all coming together in first quarter 2023. Well, that's going to be interesting. I'm sure you have been do doing this for many customers, but whenever it's about you and your agency, that's going to be interesting, right? <laughs> um, all right, Lee, th thank you so much. That was really the last question. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun, real pleasure. Uh, well, thank you for finding the time to be with us and share your insights. What's the best way to get in touch with you? Thank you, Gio. I really appreciate it. Really thoughtful questions. You're a great interviewer. I appreciate the time um, that you spent. Uh, and people can connect with me on toprakemarketing.com. Um, they can find um, a lot of, uh, I've published 2,000 plus articles on our blog. Um, and of course, they can find me on social media, uh, um, Twitter, LinkedIn, and um Instagram is probably my one of my favorites at Lee Oden, L-E-E-O-D-D-E-N. Thank you very much, Lee. And to everyone on the line, thank you for being with us at this new episode of our Gem Sessions. Have a great day and a great rest of the week. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Rock Content's Jam Session podcast series. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to receive our latest episodes. We'll see you next week.